Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, this is one of the biggest, most anticipated shows of the year, which is why we are at a special time today. Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern uh, is our start time today, and that is because today uh, is the launch of the much-anticipated annual Giving USA Report. Giving USA uh, Report 2014 is launched here on the show today. Peter Fissinger will be with us uh, to share with us all the latest information and findings uh, from this annual seminal report that uh, uh, takes a look at the strength of our philanthropic community uh, in the United States. Uh, as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, as the announcer mentioned, this is a call-in show, uh, so feel free to call in and ask questions of our page two expert uh, who will be talking on the topic of Giving USA uh, Report 2014, and that number is 347 324-3080. You can also ask questions over in the chat room. I do see people over in the chat room. Feel free to ask questions there. Or you can email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Those who are familiar with the show know that here on The Nonprofit Coach, we always start with page one news. Over here on page one news, you can always follow along by going to tedhart.com and click on radio links. Uh, you will not only find all the radio links today, but the very best in radio links uh, from the last three plus years of podcasts and radio shows here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, first up today is uh, sent to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, they are reporting that a lawsuit uh, could force the IRS to release nonprofit data, uh, tax forms digitally. Uh, open data could shine a light on pay and lobbying. Uh, this uh, is uh, seen as uh, bringing the Form 990 uh, into the modern era. Uh, the IRS, when they receive information, uh, uh, will then turn that into uh, PDF files, uh, which then um, creates a, a bit of a hardship for organizations like GuideStar, Navi Charity Navigator, and uh, the Urban Institute, who have to spend money to manually enter data that they receive from the IRS before making it available to the public even if it was previously uh, sent to the IRS uh, digitally. So uh, this is going to court. 
this week. Uh, we will certainly keep you up to date here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, again, you'll find all of these links in the radio links today. Uh, this uh, comes to us from Mashable, one of the smartest websites on the Internet. Uh, and over on Mashable, they are promoting, and we here on the Nonprofit Coach are encouraging you to participate uh, in the Social Media Day. Uh, so for five years ago, uh, everyone's social followings are probably much smaller than they are today with fewer connections across the network. Uh, so this year, uh, Mashable is taking a moment to recognize that a single connection is just as valuable as 1,000, and they're calling this global experiment the Hashtag One Connection. The Hashtag One Connection movement aims to build global bonds across the web. They're encouraging uh, more than 16 million social media followers of Mashable to expand their network by one in order to strengthen the worldwide social media community. So uh, celebrate with us at Social Media Day on June 30th uh, by tweeting the hashtag, hashtag OneConnection. Doing so will automatically enter you into the global exchange. On June 30th, Mashable will pair up entrants based on their interests, encouraging them to follow each other and wish each other a very happy hashtag SM Day, Social Media Day. So read all about this. Um, you have until Friday, June 27th at 12.01 uh, a.m. Eastern Time to join the hashtag One Connection movement. Uh, and uh, Mashable says that they can't wait to connect with you and to ce celebrate with you Social Media Day around the world. So uh, make sure you sign up and make sure that you become part of Social Media Day. Uh, each month here on the Nonprofit Coach, it's our pleasure uh, to welcome our good friends from GuideStar back here to the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, today we have uh, Courtney Turco uh, with us. Courtney is GuideStar's Communications Coordinator. She manages GuideStar's 13 social media channels. So my guess is that she's certainly going to be part of Social Media Day uh, this month. Uh, and is a primary writer on the marketing team, specifically supports the GuideStar Exchange program. She's a native of the Washington, D.C. area and has been with GuideStar for nearly a year, but more importantly, she's with us here on the Nonprofit Coach right now. Courtney, welcome to the Nonprofit Coach, and thank you for bringing us this month's GuideStar Minute. Thank you for having me today, Ted. We have three new exciting GuideStar developments I'd like to discuss. The first is our nonprofit reports page is undergoing refreshing. So we have been working diligently for the past few months to update the look and feel of our site, uh, GuideStar.org. We're in the midst of an exciting refresh of our website, and the first two pages made their debut this week. Uh, there are two pages that may catch your eyes being different. The first we want uh, to make sure our, your listeners are aware of is your nonprofit's report. We have melded together the checklist for your organization with the tabs at the top of the page to allow quick access to the information your supporters are looking for most. This streamlined design will make it easier for your stakeholders to find the information they want quickly and conveniently. What's really important for your audience, Ted, is to make sure that nonprofits uh, are updating their report in the free GuideStar Exchange program. They can do this at guidestar.org exchange. And we Another do have a link notice. in the radio links today to GuideStar.org uh, to remind everyone who goes to the link that they should join the GuideStar Exchange. Thank you, yes. Um, another page you may notice is different is our homepage refresh. And we put our powerful search feature front and center so you can get the information you want faster. Now, the current iteration of our homepage is for unregistered, new to our site users only. So if you're curious, Sign out of your login account on the upper left-hand corner of GuideStar's site and take a peek. But don't forget to log back in when you're ready to get back to work. We thank you for your support of GuideStar, and we're really looking forward to sharing more of the Refresh site within the next few months. Well, I think the refresh of the home page really looks great and makes it so much easier for people to understand uh, the search features of GuideStar. Uh, we also want to always make sure that we remind uh, folks that still at the top of the page uh, is the link to update your nonprofit report and how important it is that all of my listeners uh, keep their report on GuideStar updated. 
That's right. Thank you. And lastly, I'd like to make a note that we have recently released a sandbox environment for each of our six application programming interfaces. This sandbox is a tester environment where developers can use old, outdated data to see how they like having an API with GuideStar uh, for their organization. For more information on this, you can visit npo.gs-6APIS. Terrific. And if you send that to us, we'll make sure that we add that to our radio links. Uh, so you can just email that over to us, and we'll make sure that we add that. Courtney, thank you for joining us here and providing us with the GuideStar Minute. We look forward to a uh, uh, representative of GuideStar uh, to join us when we come back from our summer hiatus, uh, which starts uh, after next week's show. Uh, we'll be back in September, and we know GuideStar will be with us. Thank you, and have a great Giving Tuesday. You bet. Take care. Bye. Um, so back here on the Nonprofit Coach, again, we always appreciate having uh, someone from GuideStar joining us, and those are some great uh, updates, so don't miss those opportunities. And next here on uh, page one news comes to us from TechSoup. Uh, TechSoup uh, has a really terrific uh, 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 description of how to make good choices, smart choices, uh, with mobile devices. Of course, there's so much information out there, smart versus basic, operating system, hardware, camera, processor, uh, call quality, battery life, uh, choosing a carrier, you know, what is 4G. Um, so all of these things uh, ride into your decision. Of course, you've got smartphones and tablets. Um, so taking a look at all of that, what they do is break it down for you, help lay out the questions, give you some good advice. We've got that link for you uh, over in the radio links today, and that's uh, choosing a mobile device, what to look for uh, from TechSoup. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is, uh, comes to us from Google, uh, and this is a very simple step-by-step -step instructions on how you can set up Google email for your entire nonprofit organization. So uh, we wanted to provide that uh, for you folks, and certainly we, uh, of course, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we'll provide you a little bit of a reminder later about the uh, Google Nonprofit Program. Uh, last up here on the Nonprofit Coach, before we get to uh, our topic of the day, uh, comes to us uh, from the Nonprofit Times. Over on the Nonprofit Times, they're reporting uh, information from the Doing Well by Doing Good survey uh, that uh, was released from the uh, uh, New York City-based survey and measurement firm Nielsen. Uh, what they did is take a look at a survey of 30,000 consumers 60 different countries around the world, what they found is that more than half of online consumers around the world are willing to pay more for products and services from companies that are socially and environmentally responsible. What I think may have been uh, a little bit surprising, certainly very welcome, uh, is to see how broad-based the support is around the world, uh, and that in fact leading the way in this interest uh, are those in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, with 64% of respondents saying that they would pay more for products and services that come from companies that are socially and environmentally responsible, followed closely by Latin American uh, consumers at 63%, Middle Eastern consumers at 63%, uh, and it may surprise some folks uh, to learn that bringing up the rear uh, is North America at 42% and really dropped below that uh, is Europe and Europe consumers at 40% who are not quite as willing to uh, pay more for products and services for socially and environmentally responsible um, uh, products and services. Uh, so taking a look at this report, learning uh, about this uh, can help us understand how important the topics of being socially and environmentally responsible are to consumers. You'll find that over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. It is now time for us to get over to the most important topic of the day, and that's our page two expert. Peter Fissinger is my guest here again uh, this year for the very important announcement of the Giving USA report. He is President and Chief Executive Officer of Campbell & Company with over 30 years of professional experience in institutional advancement, including designing and implementing major capital fundraising strategies, annual giving programs, 
plan giving and marketing efforts. For the purposes of today, it's extremely important for us to understand that he is the past chair of the Advisory Council on Methodology for Giving USA and serves on the board of the Giving Institute. Uh, welcome back to the nonprofit coach, Peter Fissinger. Thank you very much, Ted. Thanks for having me, and I enjoy being on your show. Well, we enjoy having you, and of course, this is one of the most anticipated shows of our uh, annual uh, weekly uh, shows here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, today, uh, uh, just coming off from the embargo of this information for Giving USA uh, 2014. So why don't we um, end the suspense and let's go to the top-level numbers, then we'll drill down in and take a look at the methodology uh, for this report. But uh, how is philanthropy doing in America? Well, we feel it's doing quite well, Ted. Uh, it's, the Giving USA report uh, projects that $335.17 billion was uh, contributed in the United States last year to nonprofit organizations. That's an increase of 4.4% over the prior year. It, it marks the fourth consecutive year of growth in philanthropy and the fourth largest total in the history of the research. Now, I will say that uh, the recovery for philanthropy since 2009 has been 12.3%, which compared to other recessions in history is a little bit slow. Uh, the average recession recovery growth rate for philanthropy, if you're going, going back to uh, when this research began in 1956 is 13.9%. So the inflation-adjusted all-time high for philanthropy, which I believe was 2007, uh, but it was just before the Great Recession, was $349.5 billion. So we have $335.17 billion, an increase of 4.4%. And uh, at this rate of growth that we've seen in recent years, uh, in about two years from now, we will likely eclipse that inflation-adjusted all-time high number of almost $350 billion. So it's good news. We're excited about it. But it has taken quite a while for um, giving to come back in America from the Great Recession. No question about it. Uh, in, not only has it taken uh, quite a while uh, for giving to come back, if you look at the history of giving uh, as charted by this research, uh, giving has increased almost every year. It just tends to increase more slowly in years that were in recession, 73, 74, 75, 89, 90, uh, 2002, for instance. But in the, the Great Recession, we saw actual declines. So since 1973, uh, giving has only declined uh, twice, or excuse me, three times. And two of those years were 2008 and 2009. So <clears throat> we lost more giving in those recession years. And frankly, it's been a slightly slower than average recovery. And we think this reflects to a significant degree what's been called the jobless recovery in our, in our U.S. economy. But we are coming back, and we think there are some indicators uh, that are going to continue to demonstrate growth in the coming year and hopefully next year as well. Now, Peter, you mentioned uh, the possible link to uh, uh, relatively slow comeback in jobs uh, across the, the country having, uh, I believe, just uh, eclipsed the number of jobs lost. So we've just regained uh, to where we were before the, the, the Great Recession. So again, a very slow uh, return to, to that job level, which still leaves us uh, without any growth um, during that period of time. Uh, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in your report, uh, it appears that this, this growth, which is good news, as you just mentioned, uh, is led by the wealthiest Americans uh, and not, a, a, not necessarily led by the broad base of donors across the country. 
Well, there, the, that that is frankly been true throughout the history of the research to some degree. So if you look at uh, how philanthropy has followed, for instance, the S&P 500, uh, I could I could show you a chart which is available if, uh, for your uh, listeners if they choose to purchase uh, a presentation of the report and I'd like an opportunity to talk about that before we're done here. Uh, sure. But if you look at the history, you can see that in fact uh, the overall giving does shadow, although not as abruptly or sharply, the S&P 500. And giving by wealthy individuals, or let me put it this way, giving by itemizers accounts for $200 million of individual giving. So there's, there's certainly a very significant wealth factor in giving. Uh, but I, I would not overlook also uh, the impact of broad-based giving. And we do believe that the slow return, return to a closer full employment statistic has impacted uh, broad-based giving. You know, the interesting thing about this data, Ted, is it sparks conversations in all kinds of areas that we think are really important conversations to have. So, for instance, when you look at broad-based giving, there are a number of challenges, not the least of which is that one has to be, usually has to be employed in order to consider Giving Probably the greatest indicator of giving is what we call the personal consumption statistic, which we saw a growth of 3.2% last year. But there are other challenges. If you look at organizations trying to establish, for, for instance, ties with young individuals, they have to have good contact information. You well know that there's a significant migration into online giving and social media related giving when you look at broad-based giving. And so you have to look at all of these factors together, we believe, to talk about the health of giving. And, and thinking about the, the strength, and certainly there's a lot that's been written about the strength of of social media and uh, online fundraising. Uh, of course, that's accounted for in, in your report. Do you have any way of knowing what, what part of the growth is coming from those, those uh, uh, forms of giving uh, as opposed to others? I, I don't believe that we're able to track that specifically. But if you look through history, you know, I don't know how old you are, Ted, but I'm old enough to be embarrassed about how much I remember about how philanthropy has changed and grown over the okay. years. Uh, there, there, there was a significant discussion early in my career about the way in which the use of computers and database systems might change philanthropy. More recently, in the 10 to 15 year framework, we talked about online giving, and now we're talking very actively about social media giving. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that you don't at this point in social media giving see a significant percentage of the total, but that's misleading because there's no question that there's significant migration, especially by young people, into giving through social media environments. And that's where tomorrow's major donors might be living today. So while we're not able to, to show that it's a truly significant percentage of the total, when you look at how philanthropy is developing, we would suggest that to build a donor base through which you can then develop long-term relationships, you have to have social media in part of your overall strategy. Well, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we certainly agree with you there. Uh, we also believe and, and share with our, our listeners here that uh, social media is also not the savior of philanthropy and it's not the be-all and end-all. It is part of uh, a well-integrated uh, program that is focused on the donor. And the reason why social media is so important is because these are tools that donors quite naturally use. Um, and to not be engaged in social media uh, is to not meet your donors where they are. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it, it's an, an integrated approach 
that we have to be looking at in order to be optimally successful. It is not the savior, nor was computers 35 years ago, nor was online giving, but they're important developments that we have to follow. And, you know, good fundraisers, Ted, are continuous learners. And it's a challenge to be a continuous learner. We all develop habits. This is the way we do things. But there's been significant change in our economy. There's been significant change in the habits of especially young people. But I don't know about you. I mean, a lot of people my age and older are on Facebook and other kinds of social media environments. And we have to constantly be looking at how we might be able to do things differently or better. And social media is one important tool in the toolbox. Well, and, and I mean, there's no surprise to or no mystery to why Facebook has over a billion people uh, on their platform. And it's because it is the, the simple nature of social media is that people want to connect, and they do want to connect with causes. Uh, and that's why charities uh, have social media as such an important part of a, a well-integrated program. But you, you mentioned the growth, and, and certainly this is good news for the, uh, the philanthropic community and certainly you know, over uh, a million uh, charities in the United States that, that need philanthropic support. But is there a frustration or is it just sort of baked into uh, the way that we, we should expect that philanthropy is going to continue that it doesn't seem to move beyond 2% of GDP? Well, it did once, just as, as, as long as we're stipulating it, it got up to 2.1% one year in well, the history of the data. The but, you know, <laughs> Not much I, of a difference. I'm just teasing right you. I'm yeah. just teasing you. You know, uh, it, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, here at Campbell & Company, we do a lot of marketing uh, around Giving USA, and, and one of the reasons that we do it is we find it's a great way to create dialogue. And uh, so one night, I was going over my presentation, and uh, my wife was asking me about it. And we were looking at all the data, and I was showing it to her. And it, she doesn't work in this space, if you will. And I was I was showing her uh, the slides that I was going to use, and 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 she she pounced on this slide where it showed GDP uh, or philanthropy as a percentage of GDP, and looked and saw that we were at around two percent you know, and looked at me and she said, well, what have you been doing for the last 25 years? I mean, you haven't moved the needle at all. So I, I, th there can be some uh, humor or frustration. But, you know, one of the reasons we're big advocates of this data is, is that there are central truths. And one central truth is that Americans, by nature, are generous. And if, in fact, you wish for them to consider supporting the organization uh, and the mission of the organization that a fundraiser is employed at or engaged by, then you have to ask them to give. And when you ask them to give, you have to align the reasons they may consider giving around the things that they care about most. And so within that 2%, there's huge fluctuation about where people are giving and why they're giving. And we believe that best practices in fundraising can have a very significant impact within that umbrella. Social media is one example. Being able to offer an intelligent way for people to make a gift of appreciated assets is another example. And so while there is, there seems to be uh, a fairly consistent percentage of the GDP that's accounted for by philanthropy. There's a lot of activity in there, and there are organizations that are succeeding, and there are organizations that are struggling. And we can have a difference in where, you know, how successful uh, our organizations are in uh, being able to build a, a program of philanthropy. And we find the Giving USA data sparks a lot of conversation about here's what's happening where I work and here are the problems. I just came from a presentation we had this morning here in Chicago. We had you know, close to 200 people. We presented the data and then we, we broke up into 30 different table groups and talked about the real challenges and opportunities that people are facing and how they are similar to the data or perhaps how they may differ 
from the data. So, so you're right. I said this morning in this presentation that I gave, the single greatest impact we could have on all of philanthropy is if we could figure out a way to move the needle to 2.5% of GDP. So I agree, but there are a lot of really good stories within that umbrella. Well, there certainly are, and, and, and I, I think you're, you're, you're correct. There's a, a lot that can be discussed, a lot that is discussed and written about uh, how that needle can be changed. But, but do you think it's also important for those of us uh, who are in the industry, certainly those of us who have been around for a while that, that you know, really have a broad view of the industry, uh, to, to also take stock of the reality of where philanthropy fits for uh, for most the majority of Americans, those who don't make uh, their livelihood uh, in philanthropy, uh, because I think a lot of us can get so caught up in the fact that you know this is the industry that we're involved with. So for us, it represents a, a very large, significant part of our our lives and our thinking and, and what we talk about and what we study. Uh, but for most Americans, uh, it's fair to say it represents about 2% of, of giving it, it re, of, the G, of GDP, uh, that it represents a, a, a vast minority of thinking uh, about the philanthropic sector, uh, and that, that perhaps there's a lesson learned in that, that it, it's not necessarily just promoting the idea of giving and what giving can do, uh, but do we have an obligation to talk about philanthropy for philanthropy's sake and what it, what it does for our community? Because my, my fear is, and I just want to get, get your thoughts because you're one of our great thinkers in, in, this, uh, in this industry, is that because we benefit from being in, in such a generous community, envy of the world, uh, in terms of the generosity of, of Americans that's sort of baked into our psyche, that if we don't do a better job at passing that on to younger generations, uh, we risk uh, lawmakers and, and regulators uh, not supporting the philanthropic community, but, but beginning to, to look at it uh, as a resource for tax revenue, looking for it uh, as a, a solution uh, to politician problems, rather than understanding the fabric of philanthropy and what that means to America. Uh, you bring up a whole range of very interesting points, things that uh, within Giving Institute and Campbell and & Company and I'm sure in other kinds of dialogues we talk about quite a bit. Uh, I, I think that the, the basic idea of um, philanthropy you know, being at a, a, a set percentage of reality, if you will, I mean there are many different ways of describing it, is, is essentially in my view – uh, glass half full, half empty kind of uh, dialogue. Uh, we we um, we tend to really try to emphasize the positive and to use the data in order to talk about ways that we can enhance giving. I completely agree with you that we have an obligation as people having the privilege to work in this sector to promote philanthropy and authentically. And one piece of that is to be responsible advocates at home uh, in local government, state government, and federal government. And there is now more than ever uh, danger to the provisions in the various kinds of tax code, the most obvious being the simple charitable deduction, uh, where the lawmakers, if they're not as clear about the benefits to the community that philanthropy brings, feel like, well, there's a revenue source that I can tap. So we work very hard. We, I try to be a part of every single uh, mail uh, program that I'm aware of where I can uh, lobby my local legislators as well as decision, uh, decision makers outside of you know, our senators here in Illinois, that's where I live, uh, on on this topic and let them know we're out there. And there's considerable evidence that it makes a difference. The downside of it, it might be that I'm on the email list of a number of politicians for that I don't personally care for, but I happen to have emailed them at one time or another asking for their yeah. vote. So they, you know, they send me updates. And, you know, that's a that's a small price to pay. 
Right. Well, and, and I think you're, you're, it's so important that, that we raise these, uh, these topics because I think a lot of fundraisers and a lot of uh, uh, boards of directors and, and those who look to the Giving USA report um, as, a, as a benchmark of how we're doing, a benchmark of, of how we are growing uh, the philanthropy in the United States, uh, each and every one of those organizations I, I think tends to, and this is not a criticism, it's just the, I think the reality of, of the situation, tend to focus on give to us, give more to us. We will do more good if you give to us. And we don't, as an industry, take a step back and, and, and I believe, uh, take seriously our obligation uh, to talk about why philanthropy matters in America. That regardless of what organization you give to, it, it is that social safety net, it is education, it is uh, the arts, uh, and that these things quite literally don't happen without nonprofits. Um, and that's why the nonprofit um, status uh, and, and nonprofit organizations matter to communities. Um, but, but I think for a lot of folks, it ends up looking like we're just asking for money and that that is the only value is, is the value of the check. You know, one of the habits that I've developed, Ted, in the last um, few years is, as I'm sure you know, uh, firms like ours do a lot of work in studies of philanthropic potential. And one piece of the study work that we do often includes one-on-one -on -one conversations with key stakeholders of the organization uh, for which we're, we're, we might be currently engaged. And I've had the, the privilege to meet with some truly wealthy people who are very bright, very discerning, and very committed to philanthropy. And maybe the philanthropic support that they're giving the organization that I'm you know, working for at that point in time is just a sliver of what they do. And one of the things that I've developed a habit of doing is starting the conversation with them by just saying, I just want to thank you for all of the support that you've given to so many nonprofit organizations that people like me who've had the privilege of working in this industry rely on folks like you who, while others might say, well, he or she can afford it, you don't have to do it. And, by the, and, and in addition, you're, you're trying to do it in an intelligent way. And they'll talk with us about other causes that they may be supporting. But by and large, by engaging them in an intelligent way and thanking them for their generosity, they end up giving more to the organization that we're representing. That's not why we necessarily do it, but it supports that concept that you see, for instance, in the Donors' Bill of Rights that you have to sign in order to belong to an organization like AFP, that, we're, that we work in honor of the donor and, and we have an obligation to protect donor confidentiality, donor choice, donor integrity. And I, and I think that's what that provision is really all about. I, I absolutely agree with you, uh, and, and I'm so glad that it is a topic of conversation for you and your colleagues, and it um, is, is something that uh, you tie into a report such as this, which is extremely important for all of us to understand. Peter, we're going to take a really quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to uh, dig into these numbers uh, and find out where is the money coming from and where does the money go, and we'll be right back from this break. It's hard to believe that it's that time of year that we are looking straight on to our summer hiatus. Uh, we have one more live show here in June, and that is next Tuesday, June 24th. Gene Block and Nikki McCusin will be here talking about social enterprise. Uh, so we invite you to uh, please come and join us uh, for that really terrific show next week. Uh, then we will be on summer hiatus, uh, so it's a great time to catch up with the hundreds of podcasts here from the Nonprofit Coach. We will return after the summer break on September 16th. We will have Clint O'Brien here uh, with us, always a favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach. So mark your calendar uh, that uh, we'll be on hiatus after next Tuesday until September 16th. Catch up on all of those uh, podcasts of the Nonprofit Coach you've been meaning to. A quick message uh, from Google Keep. Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, 
you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live with Peter Fissinger, President and Chief Executive Officer, Campbell & Company. Uh, Serves on the Board of Directors of the Giving Institute. Um, Peter, in the time that we have remaining, let's get into these numbers. Uh, You shared the good news about the growth at the the top of the show. Uh, Where does the money come from? Who is giving? So in the $335.17 billion, the pie uh, is broken up in this way. Individuals account for $240.6 billion, or 72% of the total. Uh, Giving from foundations accounts for almost $49 billion, which is 15% of the total. Bequest giving last year was $27.73 billion, 8% of the total. And then corporate giving, $17.88 billion, 5% of the total. There's, there's one other thing I'd like to point out regarding where the money uh, is coming from, Ted, and that is that if you look at individual giving, bequest giving, and the portion of foundation giving that we know to be family foundations, which is essentially giving driven by individuals, it accounts for 87% of all philanthropy. And we like to stress this every year when we talk about the data. If you are a a small nonprofit looking to establish a program of philanthropy. It, it's important to try to get local foundation and corporate support, but it's even doubly important to work hard to build a base of individual donors who care about your mission because they, in the long run, account for the vast majority of all philanthropy. Well, it, it, not just majority, but but almost all of it. And I think it it's always a lesson that we share. And it seems that you know, after decades, we still have to point out uh, that giving in the USA is giving by individuals. Um, and so many nonprofits look to foundations and corporations uh, almost exclusively, not building a strong individual base, which of course we know uh, as professional fundraisers is far more renewable over time uh, to have individuals become involved and invested. Uh, in your organization than is a long-term strategy of consistent corporate and foundation giving from the same corporations and the same foundations, uh, which, which does become a dead end for a lot of nonprofits. Uh, why does that message not tend to resonate uh, across fundraising spectrum? You know, I, I, I'm not sure that there's any one answer to that question, Ted. But let me tell you a story. I'm on the board of a a very well-known organization uh, here in the city in which I live in Chicago. And um, there's a really great guy who's come onto the board who who cares about this organization, cares about the mission, and was, you know, willing to do almost anything that they wanted him to do as a board member. And so he became involved in fundraising. And lo and behold, within about three or four years, he found himself serving as chair of the development committee. And he invited me out to lunch one day. And, uh, and after a board meeting where we had had a dialogue about philanthropy, and in that dialogue, I had said the vast majority of all philanthropy comes from individuals. And I think we need to be building that base of support. And during lunch, he said, you know, I, I just, I never knew that. I always thought that all that philanthropy was mostly driven, driven by corporate and foundation support. And I think that board members sometimes feel that there's some other way of getting money that doesn't necessarily get driven by them first. And so all of us who work professionally in philanthropy work really hard to educate well-intended board members that when you choose to go on a board, you have to really look at it as one of your 
top philanthropic priorities and and help them understand at that point that the vast majority of giving comes from individuals. And this is so important for board members to understand because I think oftentimes uh, it is board members who push the notion of more corporate giving, more foundation giving. And, and it's not to say that a, a well-balanced fundraising uh, program doesn't have that engaged, uh, but long-term for any nonprofit, a serious uh, individual program of support is where the money is. It's absolutely correct. Uh, you, you can engage foundations and corporations. They're there for a reason. They, they've got people working in those organizations who really care about philanthropy, but they know what their limitations are as well. And, and most uh, intelligent representatives of foundation and corporate support will be encouraging uh, the beneficiaries of their support to build their sustainability through individual giving over the long haul because they know that they can't account for everything that uh, a nonprofit needs. And I was just at a meeting this morning or as I, that I referred to earlier where one of the challenges that one organization represented in the room said that their, their, their largest supporter was a local foundation. And when they had a change in CEO recently, which was a normal transition, the foundation said, well, we're going to take a two-year hiatus to see how it goes under your new CEO. And that was a huge blow to them. But we need to be building a broad base of support, and we need to be focused on developing individual giving uh, because that's where the majority of, of philanthropy comes from, and you don't want to be overly dependent on one, any one donor or donor source. Taking a look at the numbers, individual giving, as important as we've just discussed it is, uh, continues to grow. Uh, so not only uh, is it uh, extremely important and the vast majority, as you said, 87% when you account for family foundations, that is growing. Corporate support is not growing. Well, corporate support uh, declined a little bit last year. Uh, it it uh, declined 1.9%. But let's remember that um, it increased the prior year by 14.8%. The biggest predictor in corporate support is pre-tax profit. And pre-tax profit did increase last year by 3.4%, but it increased the prior year by 18.5%. So I don't know that I would say corporate support is declining. I do think there, there are some very significant uh, movements going on in the corporate support umbrella. There was a report, a research report, I can't remember the name of it, I apologize, it came out in the last year that suggested uh, that 60% of all corporate support is in-kind giving now, a lot of that being driven by the pharmaceutical and technology uh, industries. Uh -huh. And and so a lot of organizations that rely on corporations in their hometown feel like corporate support is declining more than it is if you look at the broad-based number, because corporations are, are they're still generous in their communities, but, but on average, if you compare it to 20 years ago, they're less likely to say our primary job is to support the community. They look at in-kind giving, and they look at strategic institutional market-related giving, and they look at the community, but may, maybe not as much as they did in the past. So we find in some of the communities that we're working that it feels like corporate support has shrunk more than it actually has. Well, it, but it, taking a look at that number, it is – uh, half of what it was back in the mid-1980s uh, as a percentage of corporate pre-tax profits. Uh, so in terms of trend line, it, it, you know, it's, it's not one of the, the biggest trend lines. Of course, you know, the, the, the growth, uh, the, the shift towards individual giving as part of the, uh, the overall pie, that continues to, uh, uh, to grow. So the, the importance of individuals yeah. to giving in America uh, continues to be uh, very expansive. Yeah, so if you look at uh, the five-year period of 1974 to 78, corporations accounted for 4% of the total. And if you look at the five-year period just concluded, they account for 5% of the total. That's the data that, that, um, that I have. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so, again, I think the balance here for any nonprofit, part of the message that always comes out of Giving USA uh, is a balanced approach to fundraising. And a balanced approach to fundraising recognizes that, uh, as you've pointed out, 87% of the money comes from individuals. So, you know, not that it's a hard and fast rule, but a question that I ask, particularly of, of new and novice uh, uh, fundraisers who are, you know, maybe even leading their nonprofit's fundraising program, is I ask them, are you spending 87% of your time cultivating individuals? Well, that's a really good question to ask. Uh, I think in, in many smaller organizations the answer might be no, and there are lots of pressures that, that these folks are facing. They may not be as experienced. Their board members might be telling them uh, what to do. You know, within that, within that sort of description, Ted, you can even go a level deeper. And, and, and organizations that are, that, are, that are appropriately focused on individuals, are they focused on the whole individual? And by that, I mean, do you spend some time every week on a bequest program? Because while it may not make a big difference right away, organizations that, that assiduously build simple plan giving programs, I'm talking about will you consider including our organization in your estate, do better than organizations that don't. So there's individual giving, there's, and obviously there's giving by wealthy individuals who have more to give, and so you want to try to develop as strong a relationship with them as possible. But there's also bequest giving. And we, we were working with one organization that it's the only organization I know of that in 2008 had the best year in their history. And the reason that they did, they had all the other same, same problems that the rest of the organizations had, but they happened to have two or three very significant bequests that had been in the works for years. They just happened to be uh, realized in that year. And they always spent a per percentage of their time on plan giving and just a simple bequest program. Well, and I think that that's one of the, the beauties of the Giving USA report is by giving us insight into where the money comes from, um, it, I think that it can provide a guidepost at the very least uh, to um, how you should be spending your time as a fundraiser. In other words, as I said, 87% of your time on individuals. I think it's fair to say uh, that 8% of, that, uh, of your overall time should be spent on bequests. Um, and that these guideposts in terms of the balance of how you're spending your time uh, coming from the, the Giving USA numbers um, helps you divide up uh, the, the time that you have because most fundraisers feel like there's just never enough time. Uh, bequests, uh, uh, marketing, and, and promotion and relationship building tends to move to the back burner because it's seen as you know, complicated or you know, I don't know enough about it. But if you sort of force yourself to think of how you manage your overall fundraising program in terms of uh, the, the high-level numbers that come from Giving USA, it at least gives you a guidepost to make sure that you're hitting all the right notes. I, I completely agree with you. And, and, and frankly, Ted, you're, you're making uh, a case for me uh, that your listeners should consider purchasing this information, which they can do by going to the givingusareports.org website and, and, and share this information with their board members, with their CEO, as a way of talking about how the program should be aligned. And so I, I absolutely agree with you. And I just want to mention that if your listeners go to the givingusareports.org website and use the code GI, as in Giving Institute, 2014, they'll receive a 30% discount on anything that they choose to purchase. There are books, there are PowerPoint presentations, and there are great ways within this data that you can use the dialogue and the information just as you're describing. And I just want to say that those who do purchase the information are helping to support the research itself. Well, so we would appreciate your listeners considering that. Well, absolutely, and, and we have a link. Uh, we have a link in the radio 
uh, links today at tedhart.com directly to that page. Uh, we will add the discount code uh, GI2014. Uh, thank you for offering that uh, to my listeners. Um, that's very generous of you. Uh, this is extremely important data, and I think um, just as we were talking uh, earlier in the show that I believe that we all have an obligation to talk about philanthropy and, and its importance to America, not just celebrate the fact that it's important, but talk about why it's important. A lot of that stems from, uh, from Giving USA in terms of understanding the extent of, uh, of giving in the United States. Is it growing? Is it not growing? Where does it come from? Who's giving? Where are they giving to? Um, and, uh, and without that insight, uh, I think uh, it, it all sort of blends in together and looks like it's just asking for money. But when you see a report like this, uh, you're able to reflect on just how broad the philanthropic community is, uh, how important the philanthropic community is, um, and uh, what a significant part of, of our overall economy uh, the, uh, the giving sector is. I, I you're preaching to the choir here. I absolutely agree with you and, and really appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to be talking with you uh, and your listeners about this data. It, uh, we uh, are fortunate to live in, in uh, a society and a country that we, we all know has its share of problems, but it's a fundamentally generous society, and I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to be working in phil philanthropy as a professional for uh, virtually all of my career. Well, as do I. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm extremely fortunate, and I appreciate the, uh, uh, the growing number of listeners who rely on this show for information of this sort, and uh, the Giving Institute uh, for the, the last uh, many years um, has used this radio show as a, as a, a vehicle to promote and get this uh, very important uh, information out. We have just a few minutes uh, left. I want to uh, give you the bulk of that time uh, to cover any additional uh, insights into um, what you have learned uh, in this data, things that you think uh, my listeners need to know about this report uh, before, unfortunately, in about three minutes we have to say goodbye. Well, just uh, I would just quickly cover where the money's going. Uh, so, if you look at the the overall 335 335 billion, we see 105 billion or 31 percent going to religion. The the share for religion is actually dropping over time, and we believe that that's directly related to the number of people that attend church or synagogue every week. Giving to education was 16% of the total last year, $52 billion, 55% uh, of all what we call mega gifts, $80 million or more, go to that sector, and so it tends to grow significantly when the market's strong. Human service giving was $41.5 billion, 12% of the total, much more modest growth, only 6% growth since 2009. Gifts to foundations were $35 billion, or 11% of the total. Gifts to health care is $31.8 billion, 10% of the total. Gifts to public society benefit, which is uh, the United Way's, Jewish Federations, and independent donor-advised funds, 7% of the total, $23.9 billion. Arts, culture, and humanities, about a little over $16.5 billion, or 5% of the total. International affairs, almost $15 billion, 4% of the total. And giving to environment and animals, $9.72 billion, about 3% of the total. Of those sectors, uh, education, health, arts, culture, and humanities, and environment and animals are all seeing growth that's above the overall average of around 4%. And we believe that's because when the market's strong, wealthy individuals make, make larger gifts to those sectors. And what do you make of uh, the, the drop in international affairs giving? Well, it was, it was, just, it was growing so significantly for 10 years that it's really in the longer term, it's looking, it, it's looking like a moderation of the growth. It's still a much larger entity for our destination for philanthropy than it's been. It's just not growing the way it was in recent years. And frankly, uh, there, there is uh, a disaster relief 
effect there. There was a typhoon in the Philippines that that, uh, drove some support, but not as much disaster relief. We also believe that there are corporations in the United States that have entities around the world that are making gifts from those entities around the world directly to nonprofit organizations in those communities, and it doesn't get captured in international giving. And so that, that number is, as far as you can tell, the money that leaves the United States from donors to, um, uh, to charities and causes around the world. That's correct. Yeah, great. Uh, Peter Fissinger, thank you for being our guest. As always, thought-provoking. Um, really, I think the, the, the strength of this program and what you bring to the marketplace is extremely important. We look forward to having you back next year. Thank you so much, Ted. It's good to talk with you. You bet. Everyone, don't forget, we've got one more show before the summer break. Catch you next week. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.